Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome to another edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in our critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. We are drawing, obviously, towards the end of 2023, and, and a number of podcast programs, etc. over the next uh, 10 to 12 days, I guess, are going to be year-end specials and things of this nature, and maybe a little prognostication as to what's going to be happening in 2024. And uh, we're going to wade into those waters as well. It has been a very eventful 2023, uh, especially on the Canadian political scene. And uh, there's a great anticipation about what could be happening in 2024 uh, to talk about all this. So pleased to welcome back to the podcast, a good friend, Dr. Lori Turnbull, a professor and chair of public and international affairs department at uh, Dalhousie University. Lori, great to talk with you again. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk a little bit about the past. We'll look in the rearview mirror for just a couple of seconds. It was a rather tumultuous year on Parliament Hill this year with an awful lot of things going on. We went through a a speaker and almost lost another one in the last couple of days, too, because of of some bad behavior in some people's minds, etc. But talk to me, if you could, about about the tenure of of the debate and what was going on inside the Commons uh, and and some of the the back and forth that was going on. It it obviously, as it was before, it's, it's Pierre Paglia versus Justin Trudeau. And yep. I know there are a lot of people that are keeping score on that. How how did you see as the year went on who did what there? Oh, um, yeah, I like I I found that this year you could see not that it, there's ever been some wonderful golden age where the debate was lovely and it was all constructive and everybody you know was kind of keeping in control of themselves. It, like it's it's always been a little rough in there, but this year seemed excessively so, and it built up to I think the the worst of it we saw in the past couple of weeks um it it's clear that trudeau and polyev um do not like each other uh I, I think probably have some eagerness to get to an election so they can fight and i think that the two parties are actually offering up very different conceptions of how to solve our problems and how to govern ourselves and so i think the the result is that when they're engaging with one another, there's not a lot of common ground in terms of where they stand on the issues. And there's also not a lot of civility. We're seeing, I think, a real breakdown in in civility and politics and how people interact with one another. Yeah, and, and you can tell that, for instance, the way Polyev talks about uh, the prime minister. He never calls him the prime minister. He's just Trudeau this, Trudeau that. Yeah. Uh, and, and we saw that in past presidential elections south of the border, too. And it's, it's a sign of disrespect. And and I think it's probably no, you know, it's it's just the way things are these days. I don't think anybody makes a big deal of it, uh, but there is an anger and a hatred there. And and uh, Polyev has played on that. And you and I have talked about this over the last couple of months. Uh, things are not going well, even though some of the numbers economically anyway are starting to look a lot better, and the and the prognostication for next year uh, is is not quite as bleak. Uh, but essentially, and I'm, I don't mean to overstate well maybe i do to a certain extent polyev seems to blame everything that's wrong in our society and everything that's wrong in our personal lives on justin trudeau uh, you know the fact that a canadian team hasn't won the stanley cup since 1993 well that's trudeau's fault the fact that prices of gas are high there's a story in the national post uh just the other day i'm sure you saw about this this guy that says i can't get insurance auto insurance for my car and he's blaming justin trudeau <laughs> Auto insurance is not a federal responsibility, but, you know, but the post printed it. I mean, they didn't say, no, sir, that's that's not really legitimate. There's there's an anger out there that I think an awful lot of politicians and frankly, a lot of media colleagues are, are starting to, to feed right into. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There, I think there's kind of a preying on 
an accumulated frustration with the government and with Trudeau himself. I think that as long as political parties are really focusing on the leader, the image of the leader as a representation of themselves, that the focus ends up being on that person and what like everything about them personally, as opposed to the values of the party. And so then when voter fatigue sets in, as we can see it is, Mm -hmm. it seems to be a response to Trudeau rather than a response to the government and the response to the liberals and their policies. Like there's something very personal about it. And I think Polyev is trying to harness that. He's also trying to harness, um, honestly, a lack of literacy and awareness in a lot of ways. Like it's not common knowledge how uh, constitutional division of power works, right? It's not, you don't necessarily know that, that healthcare is actually provincial rather than federal jurisdiction and auto insurance is actually provincial rather than federal. Like people don't necessarily have that at the top of their minds. And so rather than, you know, get bogged down in the details of it, uh, Pierre Polyev and others will take advantage of that and throw everything at Trudeau's doorstep and say it's all his fault. By the way, just let me jump in with you with one of my pet peeves because I'm hearing it an awful lot now, and it's it's something that's bugged me. Uh, and and it's 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 not unique to to conservatives or to liberals. Uh, hardworking Canadians, you know, I'm here for hardworking Canadians. Yeah. Uh, I know hardworking Canadians that make twelve thousand dollars a year, but they're hardworking. I know people that make twelve million dollars a year, and they're hardworking. That's how they made their money. Uh, but but the the reality here is the implication here is that they're they're people that are getting screwed by the government, and no matter what's going on, they're hardworking, as if no one else is hardworking except them. But when people are pissed off at the way things are, and they don't look at their household economy and say we're not getting anywhere here, they want to blame somebody. And and Polyev has really tapped into that vein, hasn't he? Oh yeah, big time. And we can see like in Canada and elsewhere that conservative parties are starting to move around to harness the support of, as they would say, you know, hardworking voters, uh, working class voters, who, which had unionized voters in some cases, which mm-hmm. typically would have been the terrain of the NDP. But now as the NDP has become more progressive and they're focusing on a lot of, you know, rights, social justice, uh, those kinds of issues, fairness, we can see a more of the conversation around, um, you know, defending the worker that's moving over to the progressive conservatives or the conservatives, depending on the jurisdiction. And there's that shift in who the parties are representing. I think that could be fundamental in the next election, especially if you're a voter who's looking at, I don't want to vote for Trudeau, who else is out there? You may not, you know, even if you didn't see yourself as a, a conservative voter eight years ago or something, you may be looking at Polyev as a possibility because you may not like his his rhetoric and his, you know, his the way he shouts and all that kind of, you know, you may not love that about him. But if he's saying the types of things that you think, yeah, you know, like I, my dollar's not going far enough. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't love this. I feel insecure. I feel like I'm not sure if what I'm going to be able to provide for my kids. I'm not going to be able to make my rent. He is definitely hooked in on affordability issues. And so it depends. I think it was. A, I think it's still a long way till the next election, but yeah. we'll see what uh, we'll see what he manages to come up with. Well, especially because you know, I get the sense, and I've noticed this in the Nanos poll and 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 a couple of other ones that came out in the last couple of weeks as well. Holly uh, has support right now on a national basis, especially seems to be about a mile wide, but only about a half inch thick. I mean, people, I I think are are saying I'll vote for them not because they like this guy, but they just, as you say, they're just tired of Justin Trudeau. Uh, which begs the question, 
when is that going to have an impact on what's going on? Now, Trudeau keeps saying he's going to lead them into the next election, yada, yada, yada. But as you've talked about in the past, uh, nobody says they're leaving until they leave. Uh, you know, that's just the way things are. Yeah. Uh, another poll that came out just yesterday from Nanos uh, suggesting that 55% of Canadians, not just people who are politically affiliated, but 55% of Canadians think somebody other than Justin Trudeau should be leading the Liberal Party which kind of indicates to me kind of like a, a sub issue to that is maybe we might even consider the liberals except for that guy. Hmm. And that, that that's, that's a pretty deep message. Yeah. And I think that goes back to, to the, the building the party and the image of the leader, right. Is mm -hmm. that you might not necessarily, if, if the focus is all on the leader, then you don't necessarily need to see a change in government, at least theoretically, you need to see yeah. a change in the leader. But if everybody around the leader, you know, is like, if if Freeland is part of the Trudeau government and his is his right hand person, is Freeland really a departure if she was even to put herself forward? But we can see that there's some polling data that indicates she would be more popular. Who knows? Um, and I'm not sure that voters would necessarily see it that way either. I think when it get when you get to an election period, it could be that the voter really is looking for something different and the change vote is going to be, you know, something more um than changing the individual person. But I honest, honestly don't think that Trudeau is going to give that option. I think he is going to stay. And I think he's quite hungry again for this fight with Polyev at, a, at an election. He's going to see it through. I think um, the other thing is the, uh, the American election. I think Trudeau probably figures that if Trump wins, he's got a little bit more in terms of scare tactics. He'd be able to go to the voter and say, look, do you really want a, some sort of conservative alliance between, you know, and a mega yeah. alliance between Trump and Polyev? And, you know, I can I could save you from all of that. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know. Uh, interesting aspect about that, too, because, uh, you know, when is the next election going to be? And I, I agree with you. I think we're going to see a new president elected or at least another one returned. I don't know how that's going to go before we have an election in this country. And you're right. It's going to have a massive impact on what's going on. And, and I've even seen some of this on the, on the blogosphere these days. I don't know who coined the phrase. I, I saw it in, in Dean Blondell's blog a couple of days ago, Maple Mega. Uh, which is the Canadian version of of you know make America great again that sort of thing and that my attitude I don't know if there's gonna that's gonna catch on or anything but there is a concern especially with what we see what's going on in the states now uh, with women's rights uh, with a number of other initiatives even from the states now when it comes to things like immigration uh, that I think a lot of Canadians are saying do we really want to be like those people and 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 I I don't know and well usually I, I know that we're concerned about the the influence that the extreme right might have in the Canadian political scene these days and we saw that with the trucker convoy of course about, about a year ago now uh, but you no know, when we see it happening in the states and if they reelect that guy again is there yeah. going to be a fear factor in Canada? Well, that's it. See, it seems to me that Pierre Polyev had one job: wait until the voter fatigue sets in big time against Trudeau mm -hmm. and just be there as a credible alternative, not somebody who people were going to see as extreme, somebody who, you know, would, would be seen as, as a responsible steward of the public interest. That was his key, right? Because the voter fatigue stuff with the liberals, he gets that for free. The, the you know, really deep frustration with Trudeau over how he has handled certain things, he, Polyev gets that for free. All you needed to do, Polyev, was just stand there and be a reasonable choice for people. And I think the key question in the next election is whether people see him in that light, enough people. Because we can see, I think in some, we'll see what happens with the polling data. Cause at this, you know, you never know, like if mm -hmm. that stuff's gonna hold out in any kind of truth or what, but you can see a little bit of hesitance among the change vote 
to, is is Polyev the right person? And I think that's why the liberals are hitting, you know, his rhetoric, everything else. Now they're doing the attack ad thing. Even Stephen Gilbo today, when he was at his his EV announcement, went at Polyev about how oh, Polyev is going to spread disinformation about this. Like they're they got his number now, right? And they're trying to tell us who he is. And I think, you know, that's that's why is because they want people to feel afraid closer to the election rather than you know a year ago. But it's interesting, as you say, politics is is so interwoven, especially here with provincial po- po- premiers and, and, of course, what's going on on the federal scene. Uh, there's, it's almost like you need a good guy and a bad guy, and and Danielle Smith in Alberta certainly seized onto that. You know, I you elected me to keep that guy away from Alberta. Uh, Scott Moe saying the same sort of thing now too. They're saying it in New Brunswick. Uh, it's interesting how there's in the public's mind and in the voters' mind right now. Uh, he seems to be the mortal enemy, not unlike what his father was like back in 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 the late 1960s with some of the Alberta or some of the uh, Amer- Prairie provinces, I should say. Uh, there's that characterization, but there's another thing I wanted to ask you about, and you've seen this happen over the last couple of elections, and I'm starting to see it sneak into into the to the dialogue here too. Uh, conservatives warning conservatives not to to underestimate Justin Trudeau. Uh, as you've told us in the past, and I think his, his political history indicates, uh, you may not like him. I'm not a big fan. I never have been ever since I, I met him back in 2006 at the Liberal Convention. But anyway, that aside, he's won a bunch of elections uh, and a few of them where, he, he well, for, you could make an argument. He shouldn't have won any of them, according to the political data and the polling. Yet here yeah. he is. Uh, oh, yeah. So are, are, are the predictions of his demise premature? Oh, I mean, like to me, it's got more to do with the time that he's been in the chair than anything else. Mm-hmm. And because like, to be honest, if you look around at a lot of the people who have had, you know, they've been in the prime minister or the premier's chair, they're not very many Ralph Kleins out there. Most of them run out of gas around 10 years, if not a little bit before. And it's, you know, be, and it's normal. Because people are are going to say, OK, well, you know, you've, you had some ideas, you've implemented some of them. And and now, like, there's a sense that you want to change things so that things don't get stale and so that somebody doesn't get too used to the power. And that can lead to all kinds of bad results. And, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right about the good guy, bad guy. You know, I think this is a very compelling story for people. It's just that the good guy and the bad guy switch depending on who you are. And, you know, Polyev and, and Trudeau are each being depicted as a good guy and a bad guy depending on the crowd you're with. And that is a very simplistic lens to see things through, but it is a compelling one as well. And I think that now um, it's a big way that that Polyev is trying to tell a story. Like the way he interacts with the media is very different than the way that that Trudeau and the liberals interact. Polyev is doing these long, you know, 15 minute segments on YouTube where he's telling you about something and he's wearing casual clothes and he's speaking to you as though you're the only person he's talking to. And he's building this connection or he's trying to, mm-hmm. whereas Trudeau and the liberals where they're doing their housing stuff, it's always behind a podium. And even today with the, the environmental announcement, I mean, of course, they're they're going to they're going to do these press conference type things where they're standing behind the podium. But the way of communicating is different. And so I, I don't know. I like. I don't know what's going to happen the next time, but I to go back to your question, like, yeah, it's Trudeau. People underestimate him all the time. And he, you know, he managed to form you know he he managed to get to come out on top of three elections he managed to to win a fight against patrick brazo people underestimate him all the time 
Uh, and and that I think is is the under you know when I read some of the comments from from some of the you know the, well the Toronto Sun National Post and places like that, I'm not saying they want the guy necessarily, but don't don't count him out. He's he's right. been down but never out before. And right. I, and I, there's I think it's a valid point to be taken. Having said all that though, um, I don't think at least from what I have seen over the last little while that 2024 is going to be an election year. I I, I know that Paulie would love to see it. Uh, but the NDP seemed relatively happy. Okay, we're going to get our, our our dental plan. We're going to get all that stuff. Not quite when we wanted it, but we're okay with that. I, I don't see the government falling, and I don't see the government resigning in 2024. I, I think, as you say, the American election is going to be so pivotal. Uh, I, I think we're still going into 2025, just as we predicted when this government, this coalition began. Yeah, I I think it'll be a 2025 election for all the reasons that you just said. I think it's possible that we might see a breakup this year, we might see the Liberals and the NDP decide, well, mostly the NDP decide, you know what, uh, if you guys don't put Pharmacare on the table for real, we can't we can't do this anymore. And that doesn't mean the government will fall. It just means, at least not right away, it just means that the, the process for coming up with a, a majority on every bill is going to have to be an ad hoc one rather than to assume the NDP support through this confidence and supply agreement. Personally, I think that would be smart politics for them both. I don't think the NDP has ever gotten what it could have gotten out of this deal. And so I think it would be, it would make political sense for both party. I think for the NDP to say, look, we're pulling out of this. If you don't give Pharmacare the, you know, the the kind of support that we have asked mm-hmm. for. And it might also be smart for the liberals to say, it's not the time now. You know, we are going to invest heavily and deeply into creating a supply chain around um, zero emissions cars. And that's, that's what we're doing too. Because you could hear today when they did the Gil- Gilbar announcement, they was talking about how this is good for our health. Like yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if they doubled down on this and this is their big affordability piece. I think they're trying to spin the climate action on like in terms of the affordability question at health as well. I think they're all in on this. And so if the NDP says, look, we're not going to play anymore. If um, you guys aren't giving us pharmacare and you're going to have to come for our support every time, you know, like it's fresh. I don't think either team would suffer for that. I think they have to break up sometime before we go to election or else the voters going to they're going to have a strange kind of pacing match on the progressive side and and it's risky for them both. But traditionally though and historically though Laurie that's how minority governments have worked all the time isn't it on an ad hoc basis yes, one one off I mean this idea of a, a business coalition or whatever they they're calling it these days was really the anomaly it wasn't it was not the norm for minority governments so why not just say okay enough of this silliness yeah i mean there's a confidence and supply agreement in british columbia in 2017 between the ndp and the greens but that's because that whole thing was precarious right it was like mm-hmm. they just had a majority by one seat and the second place you know it was the third place party by a mile that was supporting the government and so like it was you know there are all kinds of reasons where they had why they had to put that on paper but this the politics of this circumstance federally do not call do not require this at all Right. And so it seems to me, yeah, we could go back to ad hoc at any time and would probably get the same results policy wise. Uh, One other thing, I just want to swing back to the leadership just for a couple of seconds before we finish off here today. Uh, We always see leaks. I mean, when when things weren't going well for Andrew Shear, it was pretty obvious that his his time as a leader was was nigh. Aaron O'Toole, the same thing. I mean, it was the night of a thousand knives for him. even even the the Kretchen thing, announcing he was going to be stepping down, and the Paul Martin team jumped in there, which caused bad blood in the party for about fifteen years. If, if, if I argue it's still there to a certain extent, yeah. 
Uh, the fact that nobody is saying anything about wanting the leadership in case, not even saying, well, if he ever decides, then I might be interested, whether it's Freeland, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, well, Mark Carney's name has come up and I guess you know, he's not there in cabinet. So I guess he's got a little more leeway. Uh, but nobody's saying anything, which tells me that these guys don't want to step out of line with uh, with the prime minister uh, because a few of the people that did got booted out of the cabinet last time. Yeah. Yeah. There is no like, as far as I know, no Brutus to his Caesar. Like, and you need that if you really want to develop um, a momentum for for someone to move, right? Like, why would he? If there's nobody out directly challenging him, if there's nobody amassing support, because Kretchen, I, I don't think could have stayed another day unless, like, without an all-out war with Martin. And I think that they kind of had that, right? But, yeah. but whereas now, um, in terms of mobilizing money, um, campaign support, another vision for the party, anything, you don't see any of that. And so it, it, I think the calls for his, you know, is he going to stick around? They kind of fall flat when there's no obvious alternative. Exactly. It's been a fabulous 2023, and uh, it's been sensational to have you as as a, uh, a, a participant in our well our show and and now in our podcast as we move forward on this. And I uh, hope we can do the same a lot more in 2024. Laurie, thank you so much for this. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Merry Christmas. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Laurie Turnbull from Dalhousie University. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Uh, listen, thanks for listening and thanks for subscribing as well. Catch us anytime and anywhere where you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Rebecca Wizens is a 20-time winner of the Hamilton Reader's Choice Awards for their exceptional client care and legal practice specializing in personal injury, car accidents, accidental falls, and Wilson Estates. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured, or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with a will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wizens, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wizens and Wizens Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife, and I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Subscribe to my Substack for timely news updates and commentary straight to your inbox. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know what you think we should be talking about next by contacting me through my website at www.billkelly.co. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care. Thank you.